Welcome to Everything's Not Black and White with your hosts, Lala and Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I know we've been gone for a little bit, but life has been super busy for the lovely bakers. We had our youngest child go to college, which has been exciting, out on her own for the first time. And Brian, the love of my life, got a great cancer scan that he is still cancer free after all these years. Woohoo! Yes, I'm absolutely thrilled. Uh, thanks to immunotherapy and all the help we had at the at the James here at the Ohio State University, I find myself once again in remission uh, for another six months, or at least until my next scan. So yes, thank you. So today we're going to be hitting a topic that has been around a lot in headlines and in corporate boardrooms, as well as social circles. It is about privilege, in particularly white privilege. It's an interesting term because when you first mentioned white privilege to me, I found it to be very challenging to accept that term. I wanted to immediately be defensive about it because when you say privilege, I think the default is financial silver spoon type of situation. And it's really not. Privilege could be many things. And it took me a while to understand what privilege meant because I was too busy being defensive about how hard my mom worked. She was a single mom. She had to work every weekend just to save up money to buy a house with the overtime that she had. And I think that's what a lot of white people do in general. Whenever you say white privilege, first of all, the reaction is defensive. And second of all, they want to tell you how impoverished or poor they grew up. And that's that's not what it's about. So what we want to do, first of all, right now is just kind of share a little bit of an excerpt from Dr. Joy DeGruy. She is a sociology person and she also is an activist and she did a study on post-traumatic slave syndrome and she talks about going to the grocery store with her sister-in-law and the very different experience they both had. So take a listen to this and we'll be right back. My sister-in-law, who's half black, half white, but looks white, Blue eyes, whiter than most white folks, very white. Uh, she and I, you know, we kind of grew up together. We raised our children together. Uh, so they're first cousins, and we, you know, it's a wonderful, very, very multicultural family. So we're going in a safe way one day. And um, Kathleen, my, my sister in law, is in front of me, and she's, uh, you know, writing a check for her groceries. Now, my daughter, who at the time was 10 years old, was standing with me, and I was directly behind her you know, getting ready to get my groceries. So Kathleen comes up and the checker, who is a strawberry blonde, um, freckled, very delightful, warm, um, you know, the checker, this young woman, is talking to Kathleen. Hey, how you doing? Isn't it a nice day today? They're just chatting up and says, yeah. So Kathy writes her her check and she steps off to the side with her groceries because she's waiting for me. Of course, again, Kathleen looks white, right? So I come up, no conversation. She looks up at me absolutely no just little chatter and uh, I write my check my daughter however is 10 notices immediately the difference in how she responds to me so I write my check and she goes I'm gonna need two pieces of ID at which point my daughter looks at me and she gets very very embarrassed and tears are kind of coming up in her eye like mommy you're not gonna you're not gonna let her do this why is she doing this to us right So I'm trying to figure out what I should do because behind me are two elderly white women. 
right? And I'm thinking, okay, so then I become the angry black woman, right? And they're going to be, and I just, I'm, I'm just trying to second guess all the drama. So then I, I just give her the two pieces of ID. I said, you know, some things you got to choose your battles, right? And then it gets worse. She pulls out the bad check book, right? So the, this is the book that shows the people who've written bad checks. So she starts searching for my license in the bad checks, at which point it's just out of control now. Just as I'm standing there um, trying to decide what to do, and it's really deeply humiliating, now my, my daughter is in full-blown emotionally upset, who's 10, my sister-in-law walks back over. And she steps in and she says, excuse me, why are you doing this? And the checker goes, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean? She goes, why are you taking her through all of these changes? Why are you doing that? She goes, well, um, this is our policy. She goes, no, it's not your policy because you didn't do that with me. Oh, well, I know you, you've been, she goes, no, no, she's been here for years. I've only lived here for three months. And so at this point, the two white elderly ladies go, oh, I can't believe what this checker has done with this woman. It is totally unacceptable. At which point the manager walks over. So the manager walks over and says, is there a problem here? And then my sister-in-law again responds. She goes, yes, there is a problem here. Here is what happened. So you see, she used her white privilege. And even though Kathleen is half black and half white, she recognizes what that means. And she made the statement. She pointed out the injustice. And she, as a result of that one act, influenced everyone in that space. But what would have happened? I can't know for certain had the black woman said, this is unfair. Why are you doing this to me? Would it have had the same impact? But Kathleen knew that she walked through the world differently than I did. And she used her white privilege to educate and make right a situation that was wrong. That's what you can do every single day. And if you have you had a, an experience in your life uh, like Joy had where you where you went in and you kind of felt like all eyes were on you, whether it be at the register or just walking around the store, because that's not something I've ever had to deal with. Is that something you've had to deal with? Yeah, um, there's been several times that I have been followed um, as a black person shopping in a department store um, just to make sure that I guess I'm not stealing anything which is still a very um, hurtful and embarrassing feeling to have people follow you around. Um, and I actually had one time when there was something that happened with my uh, debit card and I was trying to buy my purchases and the card kept declining. And in my head, I could feel my body getting hot because I figured people behind me who were all white were thinking I was trying to buy things and not had the and didn't have the money to pay for them when I absolutely had the money to pay for it, but my debit card didn't work. It's so interesting, the perspectives, because I've had my debit card not work at times too, but my first thought is frustration with the banking system or their machine. It's never about who's around me or who's watching me or how does this look to other white people. That, that's the furthest thing from my mind. It's just frustration with the financial uh, company. So that's got to be extremely challenging for you as a black person to, yeah. to have that kind of pressure put on you. Absolutely. And there was a gentleman behind me that offered to pay for my stuff. And I think it was only like $15 maybe or something. And I was like, no, thank you. And I literally had the cashier put everything back in the cart. I just walked out of the store because I did not want that to be the story that he had to help me out because I was a poor black woman trying to buy stuff or on a bouncing uh, you know, bank account. So that really bothered me. Yeah, and then the bank account wasn't bouncing. It was just something that was, uh, your card wasn't working correctly. That's right. Yeah, it's unfortunate uh, that that happens, but it happens quite often. But 
the privilege is for me is that I don't I don't worry about how that looks to other people around me right. other than being frustrated with why my card's not working. Yeah, I tell you another piece is just even in 2020, the number of firsts that black people have experienced, you know, the first black person to be in this particular political office, the first black person to own this restaurant, the first black person to be the CEO of this company. It's like, you know, thinking through all the times that we've been in this country, this country is how many years old, you know, several centuries. And the fact that in 2020, we still have so many black firsts, that is very telling about privilege. Yeah, and you know, you never hear, well, that's the, the first white person to do something. It's 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 not even relevant because white people have pretty much done everything in the history, uh, whether legitimately so or, or have taken it off the backs of others. Yeah, absolutely. And that becomes very challenging, you know, looking even at the Fortune 500, over the last 20 years, there's only been 17 black CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and only one of them was a black female, Ursula Burns, who was um, leading Xerox from 2009 to 2016. The only one in yeah. the history of Fortune 500. So that's that's pretty intense to think about. Another privilege I want to talk with you about is names. Yes. There was a, a recent study that said white applicants receive 55% more callbacks than black applicants and 31% more callbacks than Asian applicants when they did a, a blind study. What they did was they sent 19,000 fictitious resumes out and they, they came up with these numbers by the responses from the uh, potential employers that they got callbacks on. That's that's pretty significant uh, difference if you have an ethnic name, whether black or, or uh, Asian. How, how do you feel? Because I know you and I have talked about this before, about using your middle name, which sounds much more white, which is, if you don't mind me saying. No, it's fine. <laughs> Bridget. Yeah. Uh, whether that would be an advantage to you to use that, if that open up possibly more doors for you. Well, a lot of that comes from unconscious bias or implicit bias, which is, you know, a topic that people are, are really talking about a lot, um, as well in corporate spaces. Unconscious bias or implicit bias, meaning that you as a person, through your experiences, through your your studies, through your, you know, socialization, through anything, you have certain um, ideas about people or about groups of people that may be unwarranted. However, it's become part of the social fabric, right? Yes. And so one of those things is names. You know, I actually have several Asian friends who have taken on um, white sounding American names to be able to navigate through the system. Yeah, I've heard them use the term whiting up your resume. Yes. You know, this is very real. I mean, even for black women, natural hair has become a topic. We talked about that before in a previous podcast, but being able to wear your hair in its normal kinky coils versus flat ironing it or putting a relaxer in it to straighten it out because straightening your hair makes you closer to the proximity of whiteness that is the standard of beauty and the standard of professionalism. And so that is another one of those privileges of advantage that you have that you could probably, if you're white, wear your hair any way you want without it being criticized or being called unprofessional or unkempt. Yeah, and recently, uh, just here in Texas, they had a young man who was uh, being held back from graduating because he had dreadlocks. Yep. which is more of a traditional African-American style 
uh, haircut. But I will say that was a few years ago, and they just had a recent one where they had, shamefully, they had to bring this up into a lawsuit again. But the judge sided with the young black kid and said the school didn't have the right to tell this kid to do that. You know, progress is slow, unfortunately. We're, it's 2020, and we're still dealing with what black people can wear on their hair. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They don't do the same thing to white people. So, again, that's some of the privileges that white people have. Yeah, absolutely. And just talking generally about access and opportunity, typically over the course of time, you know, there's been a lot more access granted for people of color, black people in general, to be able to participate in anything that white people have had done in the past, including sports like tennis and golf, you know, things that not have been traditionally um, considered a black sport or swimming, which I grew up in a town that didn't allow us to be at the community pool. So swimming was not something that I even tried to do because I didn't have a place to do it. Now, did they not ever let you go? or Because I know a lot of them would only let you go on like Sunday right before they cleaned the pool for, you know, the next time all the white yeah, kids came I, in. I've never sat foot <laughs> in that pool. So I cannot tell you if there was ever a time that we could. You- um, my family... If they swam, they swam in a place called the the Beaver Dam, which was part of a creek. Do you feel like a lot of times, because a lot of times the stereotype is that black people can't swim, uh, do, you, do you think that is a direct reflection upon the opportunity of growing up being able to swim? Because a lot, of, a lot of young black people didn't have that opportunity. Absolutely. It was, again, about access. You know, I think about, you know, when we took our trip to the Bahamas, you saw those young men had the ocean, the beautiful ocean, to be able to swim in all the time so they could learn to swim in the biggest pool in the world, right, in the Atlantic Ocean. Well, when you have access to that, you can learn those things. You know, but if you grow landlocked like we did, like literally in the creek is where people learn to swim who were black. Um, And so I never learned to swim until I was in college. And so I took one semester of it, did somewhat decently. But then, you know, now approaching 50, I'm still afraid of the water without a life jacket. So... (laughs) Well, then we were in the Caribbean, so you were talking about those young men that were there. They were swimming all the time. Uh, You did make quite the scene, and one of those uh, handsome, young, muscle-bound men jumped in and toted you around the ocean there for a while. I mean, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that worked out in your benefit. I mean, mean, sometimes not swimming is a good thing. So she she has (laughs) not swimming privilege right there. That was a pretty good privilege, yeah, for sure. I'd like to uh, talk with you about another study I've seen. The Stanford University studied... Uh, nearly 100 million traffic stops from, uh, I think it was from like 2001 to 2017. And with that, they discovered that black people were were 20% more likely to get pulled over than white people. Yeah. How does it make you feel when you get pulled over? Because you've been pulled over a time or two or or in a situation where there's police around. Yeah. How does that that leave you inside? What's your first reaction? Uh, First reaction is typically fear. Um, and just like, you know, knowing that I got my hands on 10 and two on the steering wheel, talking to officers, smiling, trying to be as cordial and nice as possible because I don't want it to go sideways and I'm not be able to get in touch with somebody or tell somebody what's happening or somebody can witness it. Um, and I wish that was not the way that I felt, but it's happened too many times to people that I love and care about myself included. Um, that makes it difficult to trust, especially in the evenings time when it's starting to get dark and you're on the road by yourself. Mm -hmm. It really is uh, very frightening to be in that situation. You know, even when I was in college, we had several 
cases of racial profiling by both our campus police and our city police. Um, they were looking for a gentleman who was coming from Seattle. I went to college in Washington State, for those of you who don't know, um, who was coming to our small town and had a very specific description, like six foot three, lighter skinned, you know, big afro. The police officers pulled over every single black man in a car, every single one. So that, that's short, tall, skinny, dark, what it didn't matter. So this set the stage early on in your life to to have that fear. Yes, absolutely. Ever since I was a little girl. Yeah. I think I think it's interesting because since we got together, one thing that I had to become aware of because I've never had that challenge. I've actually gotten mouthy back at police officers before, and I don't recommend doing it. That's not the proper thing to do. But I didn't have any fear whatsoever other than this yeah. guy's going to give me a ticket and I'm probably going to be mad the rest of the day because of it. But what I can say is that I've never I've never had to worry about what was going to happen to me when a police officer uh, pulls me over. But I do remember distinctly when we got together and we were having a conversation with our daughter about driving because our, da- our daughter is black. We had that tenant two conversation. We had that roll down your windows conversation because we have tenant windows and some of our cars. And I said, I don't care if it's cold out. Just make sure you roll down the windows, turn the heat up if you have to, but let that officer see your hands. And I didn't have that same conversation with my son who was white. Mm-hmm. Didn't, even, didn't even think about it. Yeah. And didn't worry about it. Yeah. But it was a different story with my, my black daughter. Yeah. And that's that was kind of eye-opening. And the, the sad part about all of that is that we don't want any preferential treatment as black people in America. We want to be treated with equity and equality. You know, we've unfortunately been at a deficit of access and opportunities for a really long time. And that doesn't mean some people have not had opportunity because one of my favorite things to hear is from people who want to challenge privilege. And they always say Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey, like they represent all black people. That's the one thing I noticed that, that white people like me like to pull that one black person who's done something uh, really well in their life. And, and that's that's what all black people should be able to achieve. Well, I hate to inform you, there were very wealthy black people, even in the Jim Crow era. That doesn't mean that all the challenges go away. So that's not that's right. it's not appropriate to to do that or use it that way. That's right. And that's the thing, you know, even if they have overcome and done some amazing things in life, that doesn't mean the road was easy and that it was just handed to them. They, they really had to go through challenges and probably still go through challenges every day to try to figure out how to show up in the world and be accepted in the world for all what they bring to the table. Well, you still see it today in comment sections. If, if Oprah does something or LeBron James does something, the white people come out and they're, they're very, critical i've seen right. comments where uh lebron has been told you know just dribble the ball and oprah's been told why do you care so much about brianna you don't care about any you know anybody else has gotten murdered or this police officer got murdered it's like there's so much more criticism when a black person yep. does something than if a white person does something yep absolutely so you know when it comes to all uh, privilege and unconscious bias and even the microaggressions that people experience every day you know, what I'm hoping for is that there is this social, global justice and revolution um, happening right now that I hope is the real path forward. You know, I've been through many things between talking with my mother and my grandmother, what I've experienced myself and what I'm watching happening right now over the last, you know, 50 years I'm really hopeful that we're not actually going to go backwards again. If, if we do, that's, well, with 
with this president, we have taken a slight step backwards here. So, oh, yeah, um, that's any for of sure. you guys are Trump's fans, it's just as what it is. <laughs> We're going to move on. I know. I want to bring up one more thing before we wind down the show. Can you please explain to our listeners what equal payday means? Equal payday is really about gender and it's about race. So equal payday is observed several times throughout the year based on your color, but it's really about from January 1 of the year that you're starting, how long it takes for women, white women, black women, Hispanic women, Asian women, uh, to reach the quote-unquote equal pay of a man. Of a white man. Of a white man, that's correct. This is another example of, of white privilege in the financial realm. Yes, Absolutely. And it's it's much harder for even black women and, and um, Latin women to even get loans and financial um, opportunities, whereas white men and white women definitely have more opportunities for that. Today, I hope we've had some conversation that's kind of opened your eyes and uh, your, your minds to how white privilege is used or how it's been used and how privilege in general can uh, cross many spectrums. Yeah, and I want to definitely say when we talk about this stuff, it's not to make you feel guilty if you present as white and male or white and female. It's really about understanding how you have an advantage in this world and how you can use that advantage to help other people. Um, so if there's things that you feel like you um, have had privilege to do, think about how you can lift someone else up. Think about how you can take that skill um, an experience to empower someone else to have a great experience in life. So you can use that, not as guilt, but as power. It's been, it's been an interesting journey for me, for sure. And I'm sure a lot of uh, white people are just starting to get on that journey. They're just starting to pull down that, that defense mode to try to understand what it means. And we're thankful for those of you that have. It took me a while, probably took me nine months before I finally had a, a clarity. And um, it helped me further and better understand what the term meant. Yep. And so we'll also hope that you will find someone who is of the opposite race and or gender or both of you and have a conversation and ask them what ways they have felt both advantaged and disadvantaged in both life, social so situations and also corporate situations. Yeah, because I'm sure you're going to find and don't just discuss white privilege, talk about all privilege and uh, you'll probably get your eyes opened to even uh, greater opportunities to improve uh, your position for each other. Yep, that's correct. So if you all want to get in touch with us, let us know what you thought about the show or get some other topics that you want us to cover. Please follow us on Facebook at Everything's Not Black and White on our page. And also you can email us at enbwpodcast at gmail.com. And we appreciate you being here today. And uh, with that, we will see you on our next episode. And with that, we are out. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.